a copy of the Bible with you, you might like to turn with me to the book of Judges in the Old Testament, Judges and chapter 6, where we're going to be looking today at verses 11 to 24. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 24. In verse 11 we read, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joaz the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if now I have found favour in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. Please keep your Bible open there. During World War II there was a cathedral in Europe which was badly bombed. And when the locals came and cleared it up for reopening for worship, they found a statue of the Lord Jesus in the, uh, in the cathedral which had had its hands broken off. And uh, they wondered what they should do with this because it was, a, you know, it, the, it was an imperfect statue. And then somebody saw a message in that uh, that they thought was worth keeping. 
And they put the statue back up, but they put a new text underneath it. And they said this, he has no hands but our hands. Now, their theology wasn't totally perfect, but the point they were making was valid. The way God works on earth is through his people. And we see that in the book of Acts, where we read at the beginning of the book of Acts that it it was following on from Luke's gospel, which told of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, you think, well, Jesus isn't here now in the book of Acts. Jesus has gone back to heaven. Yes, but he's working through his people here on earth. We are his hands, as it were, working in the world today. The church truly is the body of Christ, as it's called in scripture. And uh, what that was saying and what the bible is saying and what those people were saying is they recognize that god when he accomplishes his purposes on earth he does it through men Uh, he doesn't do it through machines he doesn't do it through monuments and he rarely does it through movements he does it through ordinary people like you and me who put their faith in the living god and trusted the lord jesus christ for salvation And you know, dear friends, that has been the same throughout the whole of time in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. And here in the book of Judges, in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 6, we see that God is calling Gideon to serve him. And uh, you'll notice back at the end of verse 14, the Lord said, am I not sending you? He was calling Gideon to serve him. Now, we need to understand a bit of the background to the situation. Gideon lived in a time in between the Exodus, when the children of Israel had come out from Egypt, where they'd been slaves and they'd come into the Promised Land, but they hadn't yet had a king appointed over them, King David, who was to come. And it was a 450-year period of time in between those events. And in that time, the children of Israel were ruled by what were called judges, Now, it wasn't judges with curly wigs like we see uh, in our court cases today, but they were ordinary people who led the people and and, uh, acted in judgment uh, at right times as God raised them up to do. And uh, it was often in a time of great crisis. And that's what we see in the story here in the book of Judges chapter 6. It was a time of, of moral decline. If you look back in verse 1, it starts, this chapter starts by saying, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, that word again is a, is a key to the fact that they had been backsliding and they'd been going badly wrong and again they did it. And this is the story of the book of Judges. It's a spiral, downward spiral. And the epitaph of the end of the book of Judges is that there was no king in those days and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was a, a time of moral decline and that especially included Uh, following idols uh, and the the false gods of the nations. It was also a time of military decline because you'll notice verse 1 goes on to say, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountains, clefts, caves and strongholds. The Midianites were people who were an enemy nation living in the Middle East at that time who came down and we read later on in the passage they came down like locust on the land of Israel at key times especially when there was a harvest 
They came to steal the crops. And that's what verses 3 to 6 tells us, which helps us to see it was not only a time of moral decline and military decline, but also material decline as well. I want to tell you, I think it's a picture really of where Britain is today. Since uh, uh, World War II, we've gone down morally. We've gone down uh, in terms of our military strength and power in the world and also materially. And this is what happens when you go away from God, when you go away from the Lord. But into this situation, the Lord raised up a man to help bring a change and a turnaround. And that man was a very ordinary man by the name of Gideon. And uh, he, we know a little about him from verse 11. He was the son of a man called Joash. And uh, if you read later on in chapter 6, we read about, uh, more about his father, who was a man of some, some, some character. Uh, but he was an Abiathrite, which was a, a sub-clan of a very small part of Manasseh. And Manasseh was one of the 12 tribes of the land of Israel. Uh, I'd just like to say, I, I think the volume is fading in and out. Is that happening? Now, I don't know if that's the batteries in, the, in this going or if it's something you can do up there. Okay, that's lovely. Thank you. But uh, this is who Gideon was. And this very ordinary man was called by the Lord to serve him, to help bring a change in his day. And I want us to have a look at this today, dear friends, because I want to say this, that God is calling us to serve him as well. God is looking for servants, people who will serve him with their lives. And uh, in the Christian life, we're not here, as it were, on holiday. We're here in service to the Lord. Uh, George Verwer, the leader of Operation Mobilization, said we're not saved to sit, we're saved to serve. And that's true. And we want to learn from Gideon uh, about how God called him and the things that God put in place to help him. Because hopefully it will encourage us to step out in service for the Lord as well. I want you to see that God gave him the comfort of his presence, the promise of his power, the certainty of his calling and the assurance of his peace. That's what I see in this, this story we read as uh, we look at it through together. So let's find these things one by one. First of all, the comfort of his presence in verses 11 to 13. The story begins in verse 11 when it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Now, the angel of the Lord, it must be understood, is not an ordinary angel. There are ordinary angels in the Bible and there's different degrees and ranks of angels, but this is one which is a divine angel. This is a one and only angel, which is God himself manifesting himself in the appearance of an angel. Uh, if you look later on in verse, six, uh, verse 18, uh, Gideon says, Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. That's proof that this angel was the Lord, the Lord God. And he appeared as an angel uh, in the Old Testament. Specifically, we believe it is the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Before he came to Bethlehem and was born, uh, as we remember, at Christmas in, 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 from Mary's womb and took a, a human body, how did he appear in the Old Testament? Well, he appeared as the angel of the Lord. That doesn't mean he's any less than God. It was just the form he chose to manifest 
himself in uh, so that he could communicate with human beings. It was what we call a Christophany, if you want the uh, technical phrase of that. But the angel of the Lord came down uh, under the oak in Ophrah, a place uh, in, in, the, in the region of Manasseh where Gideon lived. And it belonged to his father there. And Gideon was threshing wheat, we read in verse 11, in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, because they were coming and stealing the food, Gideon was threshing his wheat, not on a threshing floor, which you would normally have, where you could catch the breeze and separate the chaff from the stalks of grain. He was doing it in a wine press, a dugout pit in the ground where they would normally crush and tread the grapes. He said, well, why was he doing that? He was doing that so that if the enemy came, he could quickly pull a cover over the top and it would hide the food from view. And it was also a bit of a place where he could hide as well, being frightened in the situation uh, as, as it was. And this is what he's doing when the Lord comes to him. And it says in verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And this is where we see the Lord gave Gideon the comfort of his presence uh, when he was calling him into service. He says, the Lord is with you. He said it again, actually, in verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And I love that because you have God's present promise of his presence and a future promise. I will be with you still in the future as well. I'm with you now and I will be with you in the future. And this is what the Lord was giving Gideon to be able to do his work. Now, Gideon retaliated, actually, uh, to to what was said, um, because uh, the Lord said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And that was uh, quite a statement for the Lord to say that to Gideon when he's threshing uh, the uh, the wheat in the wine press, very afraid. But Gideon retaliated and said, but sir, verse 13, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has put us into the hand of Midian. Can I put it in shorthand? He's saying, you're saying you're with me, but it doesn't feel like it. And you know what the Lord said to explain the situation to him? Nothing. Nothing. The Lord just emphasized, I'm with you. You see, as Warren Wiersbe says in his commentary, in the Christian life, we do not live by explanations. We live by promises. And that's something to remember. God isn't going to explain everything to you. Well, why has this happened? And why has that happened? And, and what? God isn't going to give you all those answers. He wants you to live by faith. And God's promise is this. I am with you. And that was what Gideon needed, actually, to be able to go into battle and to lead the people of Israel uh, in this way. He needed the comfort of knowing the Lord's presence with him. Don't ever get the idea that God's servants are men of steel. They're not. They're not. They're very ordinary people with very real fears like you and me. 
And Gideon was a man of great fear. In fact, later on in the story of Gideon in chapter 6 and chapter 7, we see he did most of his things at night because he was frightened of people seeing him. Whether it was chopping down an altar to a false god or going and spying on the enemy or launching an attack, nighttime was the best time to do things for Gideon in case somebody saw him. He was very nervous. One time he even hid behind his father uh, to uh, face a crowd. He, he wasn't a man of great courage at all. When the angel of the Lord said, mighty warrior, he must have really wondered who the Lord was talking to. He wasn't a great, brave person. And neither are most Christians. Evangelicals are normally evangelifish, trembling away with fears inside them. And you know what? Even Paul was like that in the New Testament. You know what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? He said to the church at Corinth, he said, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. He was frightened to go to Corinth to preach the gospel to the people. He didn't know what the reaction would be. Moses was the same when God called him to lead the people. He was frightened and nervous. Jeremiah was the same. Read Jeremiah chapter 1. He was worried and nervous. He said, uh, Lord, send someone else. I'm only a youth. And he was frightened. But the wonderful thing is, we have the comfort of his presence to go forward. And you know, God's presence can transform situations and turn weaklings into warriors. That's why God said, mighty warrior. Not because of what he felt like, but because of what he was when God was with him. You know, Adrian Rogers, the great preacher, said his his greatest difficulty as a pastor was convincing people what the Bible said about them was true. He said, it's true with non-Christians. I have difficulty convincing them that they're sinners. They'll say, well, I've never done anything wrong, you know. And and they don't believe the Bible says they're sinners. But it's true for Christians too. When the Bible says that God is with us and you're you're strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. They say, oh, I don't know. I don't feel like that. They don't accept what the Bible says sometimes. But it's a promise for us to take to heart. God's power and God's presence, sorry, can change us for service. You know, there was a, a very real illustration of this some years ago. I read about it in 1995. Some of you may remember the Oklahoma City bombings uh, that happened. And uh, they had a memorial service. And Billy Graham was asked to speak and, and lead prayers at the uh, service. And he was sat next to the governor's wife. And he really was feeling very nervous, very weak. This was televised across the nation. It had been a big crisis. And, and even though he had spoken thousands of times across the world, he still felt his own weakness. And the governor's wife afterwards said, I didn't think he was going to make it through the service. He said, I sat next to him and he was sitting there trembling and fidgeting. But when he got up to speak, it was like God's life and power came into him to be able to do it. I thought, that's it. That's that's Gideon all over, isn't it? You know, I haven't got the strength and power. But God says, I will be with you. And I want to encourage you today, dear Christian friend, if you're thinking about stepping out in service for the Lord, don't let fear hold you back. Don't let fear hold you back. The devil will use fear to keep you in chains. The fear of man is a snare, says scripture. God will be with you if you go out to serve him. 
Write down three texts to help you. Matthew 28, verse 20, where in the Great Commission, the Lord Jesus Christ told us to go out and make disciples. And he said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Write down Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, where the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision one night and said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, we read that uh, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We have the Lord with us. He said he'll never leave us or forsake us. Hudson Taylor said, all God's giants are weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. So let's be among that number. He had the comfort of God's presence. Secondly, he had the promise of God's power. And we see that in verses 14 through to 16. In verse 14, we read, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Not only did Gideon have the comfort of God's presence, but he had the promise of God's power. God said to him, go in the strength you have. Now, that was a wonderful thing. God was telling Gideon he was going to have his power and strength for doing this task. Now, that's a a comfort because, you know, a lot of people, as soon as God calls them to do something for him, you know, their instant reaction is, well, I could never do that. I could never do that. And that was Gideon's reaction as well. In verse 15, he said, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. He was saying, I'm nothing. I'm too frightened. You know, there was a man in the early church by the name of Polycarp. Right back after the days of the apostles, there was a man called Polycarp in the early church. And they felt that Polycarp would be a good elder in the church. And they wanted him to be one of the leaders in the church. And so some men went to speak to Polycarp and and put it to him and uh, asked him to pray for it. You know, as soon as they approached him, he got on his feet and he ran. And they had to go chasing after him. And when they caught up to him, they said, why did you run away? He said, because I can't do it. (laughs) He didn't feel able to do it. But God's promises uh, include his power to help us. Someone has said behind every vision is a provision. And the provision here is the power of God to do the job. And that's what he has given us as well. He has said in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, The Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. That's a good verse to know, isn't it? So we don't need to be too frightened about doing God's work. And Paul said he knew God's power when he was battling the, the struggles of ministry. In Colossians 1.29, he says, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy. And that's his power, which works so powerfully in me. So that's what God gives us to be able to do his work. And uh, I like what the angel of the Lord said to Gideon. He said, go in the strength you have. He didn't say in the strength you will have, but the strength you already have. 
God's power has already been given to you for the job. And I want to say, dear Christian friends, that has been true for the church as well ever since the day of Pentecost. The power of God has been given to the church. And it's right that we pray that we get filled with the Holy Spirit. But let's remember the Holy Spirit has been given. And uh, his power is here with us. And so we can go forward to serve the Lord knowing he will give us his help. As verse 16 says, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Isn't that an amazing thing? Uh, that God's power was going to be with him and the children of Israel so that they could defeat their enemies. We have nonetheless in the power of the Spirit of God. So lacking God's power is not a reason not to serve him. The third thing God gave him in verses 17 to 21 is the certainty of his calling. And in verse 17 to 21, we read from verse 17, Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Now, lots of uh, Bible commentators actually criticized Gideon at this point and said, well, he should have just trusted and, and gone off and done it. But actually, Gideon very wisely wanted to test the call that he'd been given. And I believe that's wisdom. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 tells us to test the spirits, to see whether they be from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And that's something we should do, and it's something Gideon did here. And Gideon, I'll be honest with you, didn't know for sure that this was the angel of the Lord. He didn't stand there with big wings. He came as a man with a staff. He thought it was the angel of the Lord, but he didn't know for sure. You'll notice in verse 13, he calls the angel, sir, but sir. And verse 15, he calls him Lord. And so there's this question in his mind. Uh, is, he, is he just a man or is he uh, a vision of the living God? Gideon didn't know. So he wanted to give a test. And the test that followed was a very clever one. He said, I'm going to go and make a meal for you and uh, the angel of the Lord said to bring this meal and this offering of a kid of a goat and an ephah of flour and by the way an ephah of flour would have fed 10 people that's how much uh, we're talking that Gideon made and brought it here and put it on the rock now Gideon's test was this if he's a man he will eat it because there's a famine because of the Midianites but if he's the angel of the Lord it will be received as a sacrifice. And uh, as we see, the angel of the Lord received it as a sacrifice. He put out the tip of his staff, as we read in verse 21, that was in his hand, and the angel of the Lord touched the meat and uh, and the unleavened bread, and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. It was a reversal of the water out of the rock. This time it was fire out of the rock. Uh, A miracle that only God could do. And by that, Gideon had his calling confirmed. This was really God calling him. 
And I want to say, dear friends, I think that is a very wise thing for anybody to do uh, when it comes to serving the Lord. Check that God has called you to do it. I remember someone saying to me when I was at college, nothing will hold you in a job when it's tough, like knowing God has put you there. And I can tell you that's true. When you know God has put you in a a particular place, that will help you stay there in difficulties. And we want to be sure before we set out. We're all prone to be misled by feelings. Sometimes we're misled by the good intentions of others who tell us, oh yes, I'm sure you're called to do that, when perhaps we're not. We need to know if the call is rightly of God. He said, well, John, that's all right for Gideon. I mean, he could do it with a sacrifice. How do we check the call of God for us to do something today? I want to give you four tests, all right? You can apply these uh, to serving the Lord. Four, Four tests. First of all, the Bible test. Is it biblical? Is what you're thinking about doing biblical even? You know, when I read in the Bible uh, that uh, church leadership is a male thing, God calls men to church leadership, and I hear ladies saying, well, I feel called to be a leader of the church, I'm afraid I have to say, you haven't. I know it's going to cause some offence to some people, but I'm standing on what the Bible says. The Bible says it's male. So if a lady says, I feel called, I'm afraid she's misheard. She's misunderstood. Leadership is male. So anything like that, check it biblically. See, it's in line with the word of God. Second test is the believer's test. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs 11 uh, that we are to not wage war without taking advice from many counsellors. And even in the book of Acts chapter 13, before the apostles went out on a missionary trip, they were in prayer with a group of other leaders who recognize the call of God for them to do that work. That's so important. You know, some people say, well, I don't care what other people think, I'm going to go and do it. Well, it won't be blessed because it's the church that sends out its workers. And uh, this was the difference, actually, between Paul and Barnabas at the end. Paul went on his missionary journey in Acts 15, commended by the church, and Barnabas just went off. They'd had a fallout, sadly. And uh, we never hear of Barnabas again. Uh, So the believers test. Do other believers believe you're called to this as well? You know, I know some preachers, and maybe you do too, who believe they're called to preach. And the rest of the church is shaking their heads saying, no, brother, you're not. You're not. Just trust me, you're not. You know? And I've even heard some say, you know, well, these people just aren't called to listen. <laughs> well, that's a, a, a bad test. Thirdly, the burning heart test. Jeremiah, when Jeremiah tried to step away from being a prophet to the Lord, he ended up unable to do so. Because he says in Jeremiah 29 that the word of God was like a fire burning inside him. It got so hot, he had to let it out. He had to let out the word of God. And even though he was struggling, he didn't give up because of that. Do you have that burning heart that this is something you cannot afford not to do? Spurgeon said this about people going to be pastors. He said, can you do something else? If you can, go and do it. If you can happily do something else, go and do it. But if you can't, it may well be a sign that you've been called by God. The burning heart test. And finally, the bended knee test, which is soak it in prayer because everything becomes clearer the more time you pray about it and weigh it before the Lord. So let's keep on checking the things we do that we're in the will of God. 
You know, I remember reading about pigeons. You know, pigeons walk in that very distinct way where their heads go backwards and forwards like that. Do you know why they do that? It's because pigeons don't have the same type of vision that we have. Their vision is more like a camera taking a still photograph. And it takes a still photograph, then it knows it can move forward into that square moves its head forward, takes another still photograph, then it moves forward. That's why they move their heads like that as they're walking along. And that's how we are in the Christian life, checking as we go on. Am I in the will of God? Am I in the will of God? It's an important thing to do. Sometimes it's a brave thing to do. I knew a pastor uh, in Guildford, Pastor John Benton, and I remember him telling us one time that there hadn't been any conversions in the church for a long time. And he took it to the Lord in prayer. And he said, Lord, he said, am I still called to the ministry? Because it's like there's been no response to the gospel. Am I still called? And he wanted, he said, I'll go back to teaching if you're not with me in it. And he wisely laid it before the Lord. Thankfully, the Lord did give his confirmation that it was right to carry on. But that's what we need to do. And so we see the third thing God gave Gideon was the certainty of his calling. And if we seek the Lord and we're in the will of God, he'll give that too. And finally, the Lord gave the assurance of his peace. Because the final part of the story is this. Uh, In verse 22, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord Face to face. Now Gideon was frightened. Gideon was frightened because when the Lord you know, uh, showed that it was, he was the angel of the Lord, suddenly fear came over him again. Now why was he frightened? After all, the angel of the Lord had disappeared. He'd, he'd gone back up to heaven, vanished uh, like the rapture would be. Why, why had he suddenly uh, become afraid because of that? Will you remember the Lord said to Moses in the Old Testament, no one may see my face and live. And Gideon said, I've seen the face of the angel of the Lord. He thought he was going to die. And so the Lord stepped in and uh, the Lord gave him peace with God and then the peace of God. In verse 23, it says, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. He assured him that he had peace with God. Now, where did that peace come from? That peace came because Gideon had seen the face of the Lord, but a sacrifice had been offered. A goat had been offered and had been a blood sacrifice. And I want to tell you, dear friends, and this is especially for visitors now, that if we're ever to begin the Christian life, it begins with us having peace with God. And the only way to have peace with God is through the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 tells us that, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins and mine, so we can be forgiven and made right with God. And the conflict between God and man, as far as we're concerned, is over. Jesus has paid the price for our sins, and we enter into a relationship with him with peace. Have you got that peace Have you had the Lord Jesus wash away your sins? You know, it's possible to be in church and not be a Christian. 
Reverend Charles Jarman, I've told this lots of times, but the Reverend Charles Jarman was a Baptist minister for 52 years before he was even converted. That's how much you can be in church. That's why God said, the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, even though he was a Pharisee. We need to be careful. Make sure that we have that peace. And only then will we know the second peace, which is the peace of God in verse 24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. And uh, the altar, the Lord is peace. The name, the Lord is peace, is in Hebrew, it's a phrase, Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah is the name for the Lord, Yahweh. It's not doesn't mean they're Jehovah's Witnesses. They've just taken the name. But the Jehovah is God's covenant name in the Old Testament in Hebrew. And peace, shalom, like the Jewish people still greet each other, shalom to each other. It's a word that means peace. And he said, the Lord is peace. Now, I don't know if you can get this, but this gave me such a blessing when I was thinking about this and preparing it. Peace is not a set of circumstances. Peace is a person. The Lord is peace. And when you know the Lord, you have his peace, even in difficulties. And Gideon certainly wasn't in a peaceful situation. He was about to go to war against the Midianites, but the Lord was his peace. And uh, when we come to know the Lord Jesus and we set out to serve him, We can know his peace too as we look to him. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 tells us to set our eyes on him and the peace of God will be given to us. And uh, Philippians 4 to pray and the peace of God will be given to us. So that was a blessing God gave him. And what a blessing that is to have as you set out to serve the Lord and walk with him. The blessing of peace. Some of you, that's what you're looking for in life. And I want to tell you, you'll search the whole world over until you come to the conclusion, it's only in Jesus Christ that I'll find it. And I would urge you to turn to him, put your trust in him today, and then set off to serve the Lord. And if you follow the Lord as Gideon did, you will do a lasting work as he did. You'll notice the last line of our reading says this, to this day, it, that's the altar, stands in Ophrah of the Abiah's rites. Years later, when the book of Judges was read, written, it was still there. It was something lasting that he had done. And that's what we want, a, work, a lasting work for the Lord. So, called to serve, let's make sure we have these four things in place as well. The comfort of God's presence, the promise of God's power, the certainty of God's calling, and the assurance of God's peace. Let's see.